0: I actually don't think it would be that difficult for me to try to make the case to you that people in our world right now are very easily offended. It's very easy to make people angry. I mean, all you'd have to do is turn on your television and watch just a little bit of the news media. You start to follow along on social media and some of the threads that are happening out there. I mean, for crying out loud, all you'd have to do is go to a sporting event in our culture and see people getting offended and angry. And we're right in the middle of a political season. People are very easily offended. What about Christians? I'm gonna say this. I think Christians can be very easily offended. People that are followers of Jesus. Now, before I get too crazy at pointing the finger out there at everybody in this room and watching online, I'm just gonna point the finger at myself. I get offended easily. When people are critical of me, I feel that kind of tightness in my chest. When people criticize my sermons, believe it or not, some people don't like everything that I have to say, I get offended. When people are critical of my church, I get offended. When people don't meet my expectations, I can get offended. If you want to see how offended you can get, drive a motor vehicle in the city of Bozeman. You will know what it's like to be offended. I mean, I, I drive around and if anybody drives five miles an hour slower than me, what are they? An idiot. Just an idiot. I'm always, I say this all the time. Big pedal on the right. Big pedal on the right. Just push it. Let's go. If they drive five miles an hour faster than me, they're a maniac. Where are you going? Why are you in such a hurry? This happened not long ago. This is what I came out to, where I was parked downtown. This is what I came out to. Someone actually did. How do we live in a world where this happens (laughs) and not get offended? It is so easy to be angry. And then Thursday... Printed out my sermon on anger and offense. Had an appointment with my son. Not an appointment with my son. I'm just meeting my son. We're gonna have lunch together downtown. So excited. Chance to parallel park downtown. Right across from where we are gonna eat. An open spot. So I, I pull right up to the car in front and I'm gonna back in perfectly the exact distance from the curb. Well, I pull up in front or beside the car And what happens? Someone comes up behind me and blocks me so I can't go back. And I'm just like thinking, my blinker's on. Maybe he doesn't understand what I'm trying to do. So I take the car and I put it in reverse. So there's the reverse lights that come on so that he would understand what it is that I'm trying to do. He doesn't move. And so I thought, well, maybe if I just start to back up a little. He's not very far away from me, but I thought maybe if I just start to back up a little, He will move so that I can back into the spot. I start to back up a little. He doesn't move. And I'm like, oh, game on. Oh, no, you didn't. (laughs) You have no idea how German I am and how long I can sit here. (laughs) I sat there and I sat there and my blood just started to boil. Like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? I was so offended by this guy lights change, change. I'm just sitting there. I just thought, I'm going I'll, to, I'll, I'll wait you out. But then pretty soon, the Holy Spirit is just starting to talk to this thing that's happening inside of my chest. And right beside me on my seat next to me is this sermon that I just <laughs> printed out on anger and offense. And I was just like, God, I did not need another sermon illustration. My sermons are too long as it is. Why are you doing this to me? And I pulled it together, and I looked up, and right ahead of me, there was another spot. So I just thought, put it in drive, and I pulled up, put my blinker on so that I could back into that spot. Well, he tears out, gets into the lane beside me, goes zipping by me, giving me a gesture that says, you're the number one parallel parker in all of Bozeman. (laughs) That was my Thursday printing out this sermon on offense. How easy is it for us to get angry and offended? And maybe that example is just a, a silly one, but we all have stuff like that. And here's what I've been processing over the last handful of months. I've got a, a mentor that lives in Arizona, and the last time I went down to visit him, uh, he sent me a, a book suggestion. He said, why don't you read about the first eight chapters of this book, and we'll discuss it when you get down here. This is the book, It's called Unoffendable by Brant Hansen, And I'll tell you, this book has been life-changing for me in many ways. But this book was also offensive to me when I first started to read it. Because friends, we can choose. We can choose to live lives that are offended and angry at everything that is happening in the world around us. And I believe that there are people in this room right now that are followers of Jesus, that believe it's your right to be offended and angry with people around you. You might even use a term that I hear people say all the time, a righteous anger. Other people are just angry, but my anger is a righteous anger. This is the thesis of Brent's book, is that a follower of Jesus should be the most unoffendable person on the planet. If we name the name of Jesus, if we are all in with him, if we're following, him, we should be the least angry people on the planet. And here's the problem I have right now is that I actually think that he's right. I think that he's right. I believe that not only can we choose to move toward a life that is unoffendable, I believe that we actually should. I believe that God wants us I believe he invites us to That we would be willing to even forfeit Our right to be right And being offended is not our right Are you offended yet? Is it bugging you a little bit? This series might push some buttons with you And I'll just tell you this I'm totally okay with that I don't mind offending Because the message of Jesus can be offensive. Because the kingdom of God and how Jesus lived his life is so upside down compared to how we naturally do things, how the world does things, that there are going to be times that it just rubs us the wrong way. But what is it that God wants us to be? And I believe in a word he wants us to be unoffendable. But I don't... I'm not going to try to convince you because of what I say or because of what Brant Hansen says in his book. I want to convince you because of what the scriptures say. What does God have to say about this? And we're going to jump in to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. I'm going to read the larger section of this so you understand the full context of what Paul is saying. And then we're going to unpack it as we go through. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 26. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. First point I think that Paul is making is that there is a problem with anger. That's why this section starts out. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. If there was ever a verse that I think Christians use over and over to try to justify being angry, it's probably this one. Because it says, in your anger, do not sin. And so we kind of have this mindset, like I can be angry and not sin. And I think that there's a little bit of truth there because when we think about what anger is, Anger is simply an emotion, an emotion that we all experience. Every one of us is going to be angry or offended at some time in our life. But what emotions are is that it's like a, a flashing light on the dashboard of our car, telling us that there's something that's happening underneath that's not okay. There's something destructive going on underneath the surface. So when we get angry, we've got to ask ourselves, what is happening in my life? heart because there's something down there that is not pleasing to God and I need to engage it. And because Paul tells us that it is destructive, we don't mess with it. We don't we don't coddle it. We don't we don't kind of nurse it along. We have to deal with it. In your anger, do not sin, but don't think that if you stay in your anger that that is not going to lead to sin. Here's the big truth that I want you to understand today. Being angry and offended in this life is inevitable. It's going to happen. But living angry and offended is a choice. And I think that choice, Paul is saying, is a sin. To choose to stay and remain angry. He says, don't do it. It is not a choice for the follower of Jesus. That's why he says this, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. What Paul is saying is, when you feel that, when you feel that anger, when you feel that offense, and we're all gonna feel that for so many different reasons in our life. He's saying, don't ignore it. You've got to deal with it. Because it's gonna bring destruction into your life if you don't. He's saying that the day of anger, the day of offense, needs to be the day that we let go. We don't hold on to it. Anger and offense is something that God is calling us to let go. Don't hold on to it. Because Paul wants us to understand there is a deep, significant consequence in and through our lives if we hold on. To anger. And that's why Paul says this, do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give the enemy of your life, the one that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, don't give him a foothold in your life. Doing just a a little study on this word foothold, the Greek word that's translated most of the time throughout the New Testament, it's just translated room or place. Maybe you're just thinking, don't give the enemy room or a place. But Paul wants us to understand something a little bit more specific here. Because sometimes this word is used to talk about a military term, meaning like a beachhead, a place of operation that you can do battle from. It's like this secure strategic position from which you can advance in a battle. Did you hear that? What Paul is saying. When we hold on to anger, when we hold on to offense, we are letting the enemy of our soul have a beachhead, have a place in our heart and life where he can do battle against us. We're giving him room. And we just did a whole series that we called Live No Lies where we talked about the enemy and his primary strategy to destroy you is to lie to you. And I think one of the biggest lies that we've grabbed a hold of in the Christian community is that it's okay for us to be angry. It's okay for us to be offended at the things that are happening around us. We believe that holding on to anger or grudges, bitterness, offenses, that those things are okay and don't have any consequences in our life. But we've got to know what it is the enemy's trying to do when we hold on to anger and offense in our life. The scripture tells us that we should not be unaware of the devil's schemes. Schemes, that means he's got a strategy. He's got things that he's trying to do in and through your life and the church as a whole to bring destruction. What are his schemes? One of the schemes is that he wants to divide. He wants to divide people. And if he can create offense and anger and bitterness and grudges that people are unwilling to let go of, it divides people. Those are the things that divide marriages, divide families, divide friendships, divide churches. Every offense, every time that that anger is raised in us, I can picture it sometimes like it's this brick, and then every time we hold on to it, we start building a brick wall that starts to divide us from people. If we don't deal with it, it keeps us separated from people. And that is not what God wants. Because the main thing that Jesus taught that would be the proof to the world that he came and was real is the unity of the church the unity of relationships in the church, that the world from the outside would look at that and just say, that is supernatural. The evil one wants to divide and he wants to do it through anger. Second strategy is, I believe, he wants to distract. He wants to distract us from the mission that God has called us to as individuals and as a church. We are called to bring the good news of God's grace and goodness to the world around us. The scripture says that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all the earth, and then the end will come. That is our mission, to go and make disciples of the world. But what happens when we start to look at people out there that God has called us to to reach, and we just say because of they don't think like we do. Maybe they don't behave like we do. Maybe they don't vote like we do. We think those are those people. And as soon as we start to think about people that are those people, we lose our sense of mission because we don't want to move toward them. We see them as the problem. They are the enemy, we think. But you've got to hear me say loud and clear, people are never, ever the enemy of the gospel. People are always the audience for the gospel. And we've got to remember that, church. We can't get distracted by things that people are doing in and around us that offend us. And let our anger keep us from moving toward those that need to understand who God is and what he's done for them. We can't be distracted. And the last thing I think is a scheme of the evil one is that he wants to discredit The church, he wants to discredit us. Because when you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, he wasn't angry or offended. And when we live angry and offended lives, we don't look anything like Jesus. We don't look anything like him. And I believe that the enemy is weakening the witness of the church because we are holding on to what we believe is our right our right to be angry and offended by the people and things that are happening in the world around us. If you've got thick skin and you're not easily offended, just, just ask people that don't follow Jesus, what do you think of people that do follow Jesus? You've probably read some of these statistics out there. The, the adjectives that come to people's mind are self-righteous, judgmental, hypocritical, Because we are standing at a distance from people, angry and offended by them. And it weakens the witness of the church. I believe, friends, that we have got a decision to make. Do we want to make a point with people? Or do we want to make a difference? Friends, I don't want to just make a point with people. I want to make a difference and that means that we have to think about how is it that we bring the message of the grace and the goodness of God to people. I'm going to say it again. You experiencing anger and offense is inevitable. But living angry and offended is a choice. And I don't believe it's a choice that God wants us to make. Are you offended yet? How do you know? How do you know what's in your heart toward people? How do you know if there's anger or offense in your life? Paul goes on. He says, this is the proof of anger in our life. This is how you'll know if you're living anger and offended. He says, look at your mouth. Look at the things that come out of your mouth. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is Helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul is saying how we talk matters. What do we say about people that anger us and offend us? What do we say about people that think differently than we do? How do we talk about people that live lifestyles that are very different from ours, that have values that are very different from ours? How do you talk about your enemies? Is it angry? Is it offended? Because what Jesus would say is, it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. The things that you're saying about people betrays your heart and what you really, really think about them. Are you critical? Do you call them names? Do you gossip? Maybe some of you are saying like, oh, I never say any of those things to their face. Just talk about them when, it's a whole nother sermon. How do you talk about people? And it just strikes me in this text When it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It breaks God's heart. Can you you maybe just, can we humble ourselves just for a minute and ask ourselves the question, does maybe my anger and offense and how I talk about people that I don't agree with, people that offend me, that maybe the way I talk about them and think about them is actually offensive to God? We are offending God. We are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. I don't know about you. I don't want to be offensive to God with how I talk. So if you see it in yourself, you witness it by the way that you communicate. What do you do? How do we respond? Paul says two words, get Rid, get rid of it. If you see anger and offense in your life, get rid of it. Verse 31, get rid of what? All, how much of it? All, you know what the Greek word means there? All, everything, all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Paul's just going down the list like everything that he can think of and then just to make sure that he covers everything he says all forms of malice there's no loopholes don't try to find a way that you can say that how it I feel is a righteous anger and I'm going to hold on to it Paul says get rid of all of it every piece of it and respond this way to people be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving Each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Paul just doesn't leave us any room. He's doing everything he can to close the loopholes. Why would we try to find one so that we can keep a hold of our anger and offense? He says, get rid of it, but he also says, get reoriented. Get reoriented in terms of how you think about people. And he talks about moving toward people Even people that offend us Even people that make us angry and I, I would just say this I, I don't know if people would ever even admit this But sometimes I think we just, we just like to be angry maybe, maybe it's not that we like the thing that we're angry about Whether situation or behavior Or things that are happening in the world But we like That we are right and somebody else is wrong. It gives us that moral superiority. It gives us that sense of self-righteousness. And that's what Jesus battled when he was here was the self-righteousness of the religious people. We can be so convinced that we're right. And I'm not even saying that we're not right. We may be right in everything. You may be right in everything, But what I believe Paul is trying to help us understand is that even if you're right in everything, being right does not give you the right to live angry and offended with people. He says instead, in contrast, those beautiful words, kindness, compassion, forgiveness, those words all carry empathy with them. And here's what you've got to understand is, Empathy requires proximity. You can't do those things at a distance. You can't be kind to someone that you're not up close with. You can't have compassion for someone that you're not engaged with. You can't forgive someone that's not a part of your life. Empathy requires proximity. But man, it is just so easy to have walls between people and to just huck grenades into their lives of anger and offense. I saw this video that I think captures what happens in the human heart when it comes to being at a distance and what that does to us. So watch this short little video. Isn't that about right? It's easy to be at a distance from people, people that we don't know, and we can be vicious and angry and offended, but there's something about getting up close with someone maybe that is very, very different from us, that isn't like us, but to get close enough to them that we learn to like them. Maybe not everything that they do, everything that they think, but we like them and we have compassion for them. We don't just let there be a barrier that we just snarl at them from a distance. God wants us to move toward people. Because this message I knew, because just even what went in my own heart as I was reading this book and the objections that just kept rising in my own heart, i have just kind of anticipating that there might be some objections out there to some of the things that I've said. So I want to try to communicate towards some of those that might be out there. One of the objections might be, but didn't Jesus get angry? Yes, Jesus did get angry. But let me just say this, Jesus was God in the flesh. He has the character. He has the perspective. He has the wisdom to be able to hold that in a way that truly is righteous. We don't always have that same quality of character, perspective, and wisdom that Jesus had. And here's the thing that I would take great note of. When you read through the Gospels and you look at who was it that Jesus was angry at, who did he go like this with? Religious people. Religious people that was using their lack of perspective, their lack of love to distance themselves from the people that Jesus came to save. It was the religious conservatives that made Jesus angry. We've got to take note of that. And if you think that, well, to be a follower of Jesus, that means that I've got to be angry at everything that happens in this world, all of the sin in the world, I will say this, you are gonna be very, very, very angry all the time. And that's only if you pay attention to your own sin. You are going to be very angry. Yes, Jesus was angry, but he could contain it. But he tells us to live differently than to hold on to anger toward people. Second objection is I think sometimes we realize that Jesus has called us to push back the darkness in this world. There is darkness and evil in this world. I don't doubt that. There is dark and evil people in this world that desperately need to hear about God. I believe that he's called us to push back darkness. That is our calling. But here's what I believe to be true. You don't have to be angry and offended to do that. You don't have to be angry to push back injustice in this world. I was just kind of processing in my own mind a little bit Uh, good friends of mine that are law enforcement officers, and we have lots of them around our church. Here's something I notice about them. These are not angry people. And if I were to sit down with them and to ask them, do you want law enforcement officers to do their job pushing back injustice out of anger? I believe every one of them would say, absolutely not. Anger impairs judgment. We are called to push back on the injustice of this world, but we're not called to do it out of anger. We are not to be angry people. Now this doesn't mean, hear me, this does not mean that we don't have strong opinions about what matters in this world, our values. It doesn't mean that we don't have deep, deep convictions and our values run to our absolute core and our heart for justice and to see things made right in this world can be so powerful. But to live that out, Jesus is saying, don't be angry and offended as you bring that to the world. You don't need to be. And the last objection is, I just think that there are people that might be saying, you don't know what's happened to me. You don't know the things that I'm angry about, the ways that I've been hurt. People have maliciously, done things to me they deserve my anger and maybe on some level you're probably right they do deserve anger but here's the problem jesus jesus is the problem if we think that we are a follower of jesus that we're all in with him we've got to pay attention to the things that he taught and the way that he lived his life. What did Jesus say about enemies? What are we to do with those people that are actual enemies of us? He says, love them and pray for those who persecute you. That's what he taught. That's how he lived And we watch it up until the last breath that he took when he was being nailed to the cross unjustly, his life being taken from him by mean, evil people. What did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That's the Jesus that we follow. He did not respond with anger and offense. He responded with love and kindness and a plea for forgiveness, even to his enemies. I just gotta say, that I'm just looking at my life and I'm just thinking like, Lord, the ability to be able to live out these things that I'm talking about, this is so challenging. This does not come naturally, I believe, to any of us. But friends, Jesus didn't ask us to live a natural life. He asked us to live a supernatural life. And a supernatural life is one that we can't do on our own. The only way, like what I'm talking about, this isn't difficult, this is impossible. The only way that we can live this kind of life is if Jesus actually lives his life through us in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't, Do this on our own. Because if we do what comes naturally to us, we back up to the person and say, I'm not moving. That's what we do naturally. Jesus has called us to live a different kind of life, a supernatural life where we learn to live free or at least freer from anger and offense. I've done at least what I think is the best job I can do to try to make a biblical and a theological case that Jesus is inviting us, God is inviting us to live outside of anger and offense. That's our bedrock, is the truth of God's word. But can I even just kind of ask you a little bit, maybe some practical questions. Because Maybe you're thinking, I don't want to give up anger. I'm not even sure that God wants me To give up anger One of my mentors Whenever I'm trying to process things There's a question that he asks me And I love it but I hate it But the question is How's that working for you? And usually when he asks me that question I already know that he's thinking This isn't working for you That's my question for you That's my question for me How's it working for you? Holding on to anger and offense in your life. You know, I get a chance to have lots of conversations about broken relationships, broken marriages. I've never had a conversation once where someone just said, you know, my relationships and marriages is just kind of mediocre and until I learned how to hold on to anger, my righteous anger and offense. And then everything got better. It's destructive in our relationships. Is your anger, is your offense that you're unwilling to let go of? Is it producing the fruit of righteousness in your life? Is it producing the fruit of the spirit in your life? The scripture talks about what are the fruits of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Do you think those things come to fruition in our life, are fanned into flame when we're holding on to anger and offense? Absolutely not. So I'm gonna answer the question for you. Your anger and your offense, it's not working for you. And it's not working for me either. God is saying, close the loopholes on your anger and your offense. Don't hold on to it. Don't give the evil one a foothold in your life. Live differently. Live supernaturally. Live like Jesus. Like we're called to live. I know it was maybe kind of a funny example at the beginning. They're talking about parallel parking, but I've had a lot of time to think about that. How could that have been different? How could that moment have gone differently? You know, I... As soon as I started to feel that anger in me, I could have immediately just looked up ahead and found another place to park. Probably would have changed my day for the better. Might have changed his day for the better. But what if even in the midst of that, what if I was willing to maybe put my car and park and just walk back there? And you're thinking, don't do that. That's how people get shot in road rage He's probably thinking I'm trying to provoke you, but what if I went, just went back and just said, is everything okay? I was, trying to, I was trying to back up, and it seems like you're frustrated with that. Did I do something wrong? I just wanted to make sure that everything's okay. What might that have done in his life? Maybe something supernatural. Maybe something different. What if, what if everyone in this room, everyone watching online, what if we chose, like, this, this is how I'm going to live. I'm not going to live offended. You know, you might be saying, no, you were right. He was wrong. I was right. He was wrong. But I believe that Jesus is telling us when we follow him, we lose our right to be right. We can live a supernatural life. And I know that it sounds crazy. You might be thinking that is borderline impossible. But I believe that's what Jesus is calling us to. Here's my application for you. Here's my assignment for you. I want you to process two questions with God this week. They're really simple. In fact, the first one is even yes or no, which is a terrible application question. But it's simply this. God, do you want me to live free from offense and anger? And the reason I want you to process that with God is because If you come to the answer that God says, yes, he wants you to live, then this series won't make sense to you. And the second application question won't make sense either. Do we really believe that this is possible and that God is inviting us to live outside of anger and offense in our life? And the second question is, where do I find myself becoming offended and angry? Where am I seeing this in my life? Just start to pay attention. Where do you see anger in your life? I want to give you what the scripture tells us is the power to start to take steps to live differently. And it's what we get to do right now is we get to celebrate communion together. Because communion is that reminder that the anger of God, the wrath of God for sin was poured out, not on us who deserved it. It was poured out on his son in our place. So when we take the bread and we take the wine, it reminds us of his broken body and shed blood that purchased for us forgiveness from God. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Our only hope, to live the kind of life that Jesus is asking us, is if he lives his life through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the reminder that what accomplishes that for us is his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. And it's our gratitude for what he did for us that gives us the energy, that gives us the heart to not live angry and offended lives with other people because of what christ did for us god is not angry and offended with us anymore it's beautiful what we get to celebrate here and maybe for you you've never yet at this point chosen to follow jesus in that way to surrender your life to him to say thank you to him for what he did on your behalf and to put your trust and your hope in his death on your behalf I would challenge you to do that today. And maybe your act of taking communion today, maybe for the very first time, would you be you saying yes to Jesus? Say yes to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we do believe that the things that you're calling us to are supernatural. We need you. We need our eyes on you. We need to grab your hand. We need to grab your life. If we're gonna live this out in a way that honors you, Jesus, would you free us from anger and offense with others because you freed us from the anger and offense toward the Father. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.